Hello and welcome to the Rocky Peak Young Adults Podcast. We meet Sunday nights at 7.30 at the church at Rocky Peak. For info on upcoming events, find us on Instagram at rpyoungadults. Enjoy the message. Nice. There's no place like home. Someone said Chuck E. Cheese. Um, yes, there definitely is not uh, any place like Chuck E. Cheese. My name is Kelly. If this is your first time to RPYA, we are all so glad that you visited us today. Thank you so much. You are so welcome here. And our, our hope is that you would call this place home. And so you don't have to believe the same things we believe. You don't have to think like us to be with us. Right? This is a place that you can belong what, no matter what you believe. And it's really important you know that because Jesus fostered an, env- an environment that was like that. Jesus, we're going to talk about one of his um, disciples. If I can get a clock, that'd be awesome. But we're going to talk about one of his, oh, there it is. Ha! Go tech team! Yeah! Um, we're going to talk about one of his disciples who belonged. To, to Jesus' closest friend group, but didn't believe everything that Jesus said. And it was over amount of time, over amount of time, a certain amount of time, that this person became closer and closer to believing more of what Jesus actually said he was gonna do. And so we're gonna talk briefly about that person. But if that's you today, I just want you to I just want you to know that you're welcome. I'm so glad you're here. We're all so glad you're here. And our goal is tonight that you would walk out of here with more friends and more Jesus than you came with. Whether you've been, been following Jesus for five minutes or five years or 15 years, I almost said 50, but none of you are that old, I hope. Um, that would be kind of awesome and weird. Um, because whether you've been following Jesus for a long time or a little bit, there's always something new that you can learn about Jesus. And I hope that we can give you that today. We're in a series called No Place Like Home. There's no place like home. And no matter where I go on vacation, eventually, it doesn't matter how nice the place is, no matter how awesome the hotel room is, I eventually want to just sleep in my own bed from Ikea with dresser drawers at the bottom. I mean, there's just, like, no place like home. But sometimes expectation and reality conflict, don't they? Sometimes what we expect in life is different than what actually happens. And when expectation meets reality and they collide, it's a hot mess. Sometimes it's a heart mess. And it causes tragedy in our life. And it causes us to tremble. It causes us to feel anxiety. And it causes us to doubt. For instance, my first card, my first car. I, I, I bought a, a 89 Ford Probe. It, it used to be red, but it was like sat out into the sun too long. So it turned like oxidized, reddish brown. So it was a brown Ford Probe. And I don't recommend <laughs> you get a car that's Probe. It's called Probe and Brown. It's weird. Um, but here's the thing I always dreamt of driving. Right? I didn't get my license until I was like 18. And in my head, I was like, man, when I drive, like, it's going to be the best. I'm going to drive cross-country in the open roads. Nothing's going to stop me. And, you know, so many people give me rides to church. I'm going to fill that car up full of people, and I'm going to give rides to church every single Sundays and Wednesdays and life groups. But nobody told me about two things. See, I was driving one day with, like, group of people in my car, and I'm like, yeah, this is the best. I got a radio that kind of works out of one speaker to the left, and, and I'm like, yeah, we're jamming out, you know, like to like DC Talk or something, and, um, and then all of a sudden my car 
stops working. And nobody told me what I needed to do to take care of a car. Nobody told me how to take care of a car. And so somebody said, hey, Kelly, did you put oil in the car? I was like, what's oil? And then, and then I finally got oil, and I put that in there. I'm like, dude, this car thing is not as, like, awesome as I thought it was going to be. And so I was driving again, and then my car stops again. And someone's like, hey, Kelly, did you put gas in the car? I'm like, what's gas? And I'm like, I never even thought about these things before. I just want to get in the car and drive around on the 118 freeway. Maybe even the 210. But I couldn't make it to the 210 because I didn't have oil. My expectation was very different than the reality. And they collided and caused me some anxiety. See, another thing was I... um, I always wanted to take care of a turtle. I love turtles. I've always loved turtles. As my first, my, my first pet in life was a turtle. And um, I, <laughs> this is what I expected. Let me tell you what I expected. I expected this is going to be awesome. Like, I'm going to go down to L.A., find this alley, buy this little turtle, got the turtle in my little bucket, br- bring the turtle home, and we're just going to be best friends. Right? Like, I'm going to teach him tricks. He's going to, like, roll over, and I'm going to feed him, like, from my hand. I'm going to, you know, give him some nunchucks, and he's going to go out and fight crime, come back. And we're going to chill out and eat pizza until whatever, right? It's just going to be awesome. Expectation. Reality is that he quickly grew too big for his tank. And if I tried to sleep, all you hear is clank, 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 clank. And then I thought, wow, this is cool. I could see the turtle, but, but, but the glass just kept getting murkier and murkier, and smellier, and dirtier. No fighting crime. No pizza parties. Just cleaning stinky turtle feces every single week. It's the worst. Expectation, reality, conflict. But thank God for the Calabasas Commons, because I can go visit that turtle Some of you have been to Calabasas Commons. There's a lot of people in my position. I remember my first girlfriend, my expectation. Man, she was going to be awesome. We're going to do Bible studies together. We're going to go and do evangelism on the weekends and tell people about Jesus. We're going to church together, sit by each other. It's going to be awesome. Reality? I don't want to talk about it. My wife is listening. So, but sometimes when expectation and reality conflict, we're left brokenhearted. We're left troubled on the inside. Right? So sometimes we have expectations and realities, and, um, and they don't match up. And thank you so much. Can we thank Josh so much for saving my voice? And so when they don't align, it causes trouble. And the, and the thing is, is that maybe you're here today and, and you have some expectations in life. Maybe you have some expectations about school this semester. And if they don't line up with reality, they might cause you some trauma. Maybe you have some expectations about a relationship 
that you are in or maybe a relationship that's ending and you thought it was going to be this way, but reality crept in and it collided with your expectations and you are left here with a broken heart. Maybe thought, maybe you had expectations about your parents and their marriage. And in all reality, it conflicted. And it's left you traumatized or troubled or afraid. Maybe you have expectations about a roommate. Oh, we have expectations for roommates, don't we? Whether they're implicit or not. Or explicit. Maybe you told them or maybe you just expected that from them. But when expectations meet reality, when it comes to your roommate, sometimes conflict ensues. Sometimes not, if your both of your expectations are the same. Maybe you have an expectation from a political party leader. And maybe the reality has come against that. And you're, what, and you're, and you're, you're just left wondering. But whatever your expectations are tonight, Jesus wants to meet you at the intersection of your expectations and reality. Not just you, not just me, but also in the Bible, Jesus is talking to his disciples about expectations and reality. See, his disciples had, an inter- had a crisis of faith, right? But when I say disciples, I'm just talking about Jesus' best friends. See, Jesus' best friends had expectations on how Jesus should reign, how Jesus should live, how Jesus should rule. But their expectations started to become quickly shattered when Jesus started saying things like, I'm going to die. And where I'm going, you can't go either. And in fact, there's somebody here that's going to betray me, (laughs) Judas. And in fact, Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, Jesus says to Peter, and you, within nine hours, are are going to pretend like I don't even exist. You are going to deny me. And Jesus is in an upper room about nine hours from his execution. He's the one who should be troubled. He's the one who should be comforted. But the Savior of the world didn't have anybody to comfort him, but he saw his troubled disciples. And out of an act of love, instead of requiring them to bring comfort to him, he instead brings comfort to them. And he sees their troubled hearts. And he also sees yours. And the same thing that Jesus says to them is the same thing that I think Jesus wants to say to you today. See, in John 14, Jesus says, do not, I repeat, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. Because in my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm not a liar. For I go now to prepare a place for you, Peter, Matthew, 
Because if I go to prepare a place for you, because only I can do that, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, you may also be. Remember that doubting friend? Doubting Thomas, you might have heard him. He's the guy who belongs without believing. Thomas is like, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Jesus. And Jesus is like, put your hand down, Thomas. <laughs> Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. When reality and expectation collide, you know what we get? Troubled hearts. Anxiety ensues. So the question that I want to ask today that I believe Jesus answers in that passage is what should I do? What should I do when expectation and reality collide? What should I do when expectation and reality just smash into each other and, and I'm left feeling troubled? The first thing that Jesus says is to not let your hearts be troubled. Basically, the first thing that you need to know if you're troubled today is that you need to understand, understand that emotions do not last forever. Repeat me. Repeat with me. Understand that emotions do not last forever. They can't last forever. They can't, right? Emotions don't last forever. They eventually go away. Just give it 15 minutes. See, the thing is, is that emotions are like waves. They come in hard and they come in fast. But just like waves, they also dissipate really fast. See, the, the verse says in 14.1, do not let your hearts be troubled. Uh, in the Greek, it's written in the passive tense. Passive tense, which means this is already happening. Their hearts are already troubled. Their expectations are being shattered and they are downcast completely. What do you mean you're going to die? That's not what we, I thought we were, I mean, we had in the, nope. The passive tense means stop stressing out right now. Like you're stressing out in front of me. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Get a hold of that heart. It's like a toddler just constantly getting away from you. Just yeah. don't let your heart be troubled. And Jesus doesn't command you to do something that you're not capable of. He just doesn't. See, emotions are not meant to rule your faith and your life. And the problem happens when we make long-term decisions based on short-term emotions. And that's why, how we end up doing things that are going to hurt us or others. So I want to give you a tool to help you not let your hearts be troubled. Can I give you one tool to help you not let your hearts be troubled? Before making a big decision, do not make any big decisions while you're feeling the feels, all right, while you're feeling emotional. Don't make big decisions, whether it's financial, sexual, relational, uh, occupational. Like, don't make any big decision. Don't even drive when you're angry. But, 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 but you can do something. Right. You cannot let your heart be troubled. This is how you not let your heart be troubled. You can halt before you make a decision. Halt before you make a decision. Somebody say halt. Halt. The H. These are H-A-L-T. These are four things that you need to consider. 
I could have counted it back there. Good job, guys. Um, four things that you need to consider. Consider the fact that you might be hungry, right? You don't want to make a big decision when you're hungry because your blood sugar level might be too low. So, or hangry. You might turn hangry if you're hungry, and that's just a slippery slope. So you don't want to put yourself in a position where you're going to make a bad decision when you're hungry. So that's the H in halt. So when you halt before you make a decision, just see, hmm, am I hungry? Go grab, go grab a ca- cracker. The A stands for, am I angry? Hungry, angry. Am I angry? Ask yourself, are you angry? Oh, man, you can identify your feelings. And then you don't want to make a big decision out of anger. You don't want to quit a job out of anger. I know people, uh, last week I heard a story, this person didn't get what they want, and they literally quit on the spot because in their mind they saw a movie and they thought, like, oh, they're going to come after me, but no one did, and now they don't have a job, right? So, so you don't want to make decisions when you're angry. The next uh, emotion that you want to consider halting uh, when you feel is, are you feeling lonely? Are you feeling lonely? And this emotion takes a lot of courage to admit, especially if you are prideful. And that also takes a lot of courage to admit, too. Um, but if you're hungry, angry, or lonely, those are three emotions that are, or experiences or feelings that you should halt before making a decision. And then the last thought or decision or feeling or experience that you might be feeling that you need to stop before making a decision. Are you hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? If you're tired, you should not be doing anything of major significance. You need to probably take a nap. So halt before making a decision. This is how you not let your heart be troubled is by controlling your emotions, by halting before making decisions. Does that make sense? Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. If you don't learn it from me, you'll learn it from your marriage counselor. All right, moving on. So what should you do when, you ex- when your expectations and reality collide? Understand that emotions can't last forever. Do not make long-term decisions on short-term emotions. That is the worst, the sub-point that I want you to know. Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled, but you believe in God, don't you? Believe also in me. So you got to understand that Jesus is close. When your heart is troubled, run to Jesus. Jesus is close. What you believe about God is going to dictate how you feel about that situation. The reason why you might be anxious is because you think it all depends on you. Right? If you believe it all depends on you and it does not depend on God, then you have a lot to be anxious about. But if you trust the God of the universe who can literally make the difference between ocean and sky, and he is not uh, surprised by your situation, and you hope in him, then there's, a le- there's less for you to worry about. Because life is just better when, it's not, when, you're, not, when you're not doing it alone. You know? Like, you got a massive homework problem, h- homework like situation, like a final um, paper that you have to write. It's l- you're less anxious when you know that you have somebody writing it with you. Right, if you have that, most professors don't let you write your papers with people. But if they did, <laughs> I would have aced those classes because I would pick someone who's smarter than me, right? Well, the same thing—the same thing is with life. You don't have to do this alone. You have the Creator of life doing it with you. So it's really important to know that Jesus is close. When you're feeling anxious, know that Jesus is close. When Jesus turns to his, to his disciples, he says, you believe in God, don't you? 
and you can't see him. Believe also in me, you can see me. But not for long. Because just as invisible God is, I will soon become invisible. So Jesus is saying the same way that you believe in that invisible God, I want you to believe in me. Don't you know that Jesus in the spirit is better than Jesus in the flesh? Did you know that invisible Jesus is better than visible Jesus? It totally, he totally is. But a lot of skeptics, and, and, and you might be here today and you're like, uh-uh. Like, uh-uh, preacher Kelly. Visible Jesus would be way better than invisible Jesus. I get you. Uh, but the reality is if Jesus stayed visible, he would be in Jerusalem. But you're in America, and you're anxious now. So let me tell you again. Jesus is close because he's invisible. Jesus in the spirit is way better than Jesus in the flesh. So if you believe in God, believe in him. Believe in Jesus. This is a claim to deity, by the way. Jesus is claiming to be God in this passage. So one of the ways that I like to remind my mind that Jesus is near is that when I pray, I pray out loud. It also keeps me focused when I uh, don't take my Ritalin. So um, that's not a joke, but I appreciate you laughing anyways. Um, so you can't speak and think something opposite, right? I can't be thinking something, because you can think two different things at the same time. You'd be like, oh, I'm thinking about this, that, and the other thing, especially if your mouth is not moving. But if your mouth is moving and you're talking, you can't think something different than what you're saying. And so when I pray, I pray out loud so my brain doesn't go wandering. Capiche? Make sense? Cool. Awesome. All right, so do that, please. All right, so what happens when expectations and, and, rea uh, and um, uh, realities collide, well, we get anxious. So how do we deal with that? First, we understand that our emotions are not final. We understand that Jesus is close. And number two, heaven is a person, not merely a place. Heaven is a person, not merely a place. Jesus says, in my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go now to prepare a place for you. Pause. Oh, my father's house. It's a big house. Lots and lots of room. There used to be a song back in the day that I used to jam out to. Yeah. Maybe you guys grew up in church and you used to sing that song. It's a big, big house. Lots and lots of room. Big, big house where we could play football. I was like, I hate football. Um. I know, man. I'm like, I want to play karate. Uh, but dwelling places. This word dwelling places is interesting. In certain translations, it says, in my father's house, there are many rooms. In the, old King, in the old King James, it says there are many mansions, which is awesome. Because I'm like, oh, you know, maybe a room in God's house would be like an equivalent to a mansion here. So I'm like, oh, maybe I don't know what a room is like. But the reality is I'd rather be in God's room than the devil's mansion. So it wouldn't matter as long as I'm close to the father. So when Jesus says dwelling place, uh, the picture here is a very nomadic society where you actually have a key tent in the middle. And whenever uh, a family member of that, of that father who owns that tent gets married, what they do is they add an attachment to that tent. 
and it keeps expanding and expanding. And all the family members live close to the paternal father person of that, uh, of that, of that tribe. And that's the image that Jesus is using. And he's saying, hey, in my father's house, there are many rooms. Why are there many rooms? Because there's a lot of us. There are a lot of us. Praise God, there's many rooms for all of us. If it were not so, I would have told you, Jesus is not lying. Jesus is not a liar. But he's going to make you decide whether or not you think he is. He doesn't leave a whole lot of room. Because he's either a liar or lunatic or he's Lord. C.S. Lewis. For I go now to prepare a place for you. What is he preparing? Is it not ready? Does he have to go like make the bed? Hold on, don't die yet. Let me let me fix this, right? Like, like, what is Jesus actually preparing? What is he doing? Like, what is he preparing? Well, he's in the upper room, and about nine hours from the moment he made that statement, he had to prepare a door. Because without him. Without what he is about to do, there would be no opportunity to have a place in heaven. He had to go die. He had to go get persecuted. He had to get executed. He needed to get spit on. He needed to get tortured. He needed to get rosen up on a cross between two thieves, completely humiliated, and suffer a death that we all deserved to pay for a price that none of us could afford. That's how he prepared. He prepared the door. And Jesus continues to say, if I go prepare a place for you, I will come and receive you. I will come and receive you to where? See, he doesn't say, hey, if I go do this, I will come and get you so that you can hang out in this room. He says, I will go receive you to who? Myself. Why would he say that? Because heaven is not merely a place. It's a person. It's not merely a place. It's a person. In Revelation 21, it talks about this place called heaven. It says, New Jerusalem, that's going to come down and not touch the earth. It's going to be above the earth. And the Bible says it's about um, um, it's about fifteen thousand times the size of London, which is about the size of our moon. And and this guy Henry Morris did the calculation, and on this planet, twenty billion people can occupy twenty five percent of the place. Right? If you did that math in the moon, right? In the moon, twenty five percent can occupy. Where 20 billion people can occupy 25% of the circumference of this place. But ironically, this place is not round. It's square. The rules of physics, physics don't apply the same way. You can ask Jesus when you go uh, to his room. And if we learn anything about the post-resurrected Jesus, which was viewed by over 500 people, you see that Jesus does not just move horizontally. He also moves vertically, which means we will be able to as well, which is kind of awesome. That's the place. But the person is Jesus. The person is Jesus. See, the interesting thing is that if you don't want Jesus now, you don't, 
you're not going to get Jesus for eternity. Right? If you're more interested in his uh, house, like, there's no heaven there. There's no heaven without Jesus. Does that make sense? If you show up and Jesus is not there, I don't want to be there. Any place where Jesus is not is not where I want to be. And Jesus is saying, hey, I'm leaving to prepare a place for you. And when I come back, I will receive you to myself. And that's two things. He's either referring to the rapture or he's referring to us dying. And I don't really know the difference. And and theologians argue about that. But I want to be where Jesus is. Because the goal is that he would receive us to himself, not just to go to his house. So how do we visit this room? I think we talked about it last week. We visit this room through prayer. We visit this room through, uh, through prayer. See, we can experience the presence of God when we pray. And we renovate our house in heaven or room in heaven through our actions, right? Because um, good deeds actually store up treasures in heaven. And when you uh, invest in people's lives because God cares about people, you are actually investing in your heavenly bank account by investing in people. So how do we visit our home? Well, through prayer. And we renovate through action. So what do we do when, we, when our expectations and realities collide? We understand that emotions can't last forever. We tell those emotions back off. I'm focusing on Jesus. Two, we make sure that we understand that we are meant for a different place than this earth. And heaven is a person and not a place. So get close to Jesus. And lastly, the third thing I want to tell you. We can replace broken thinking with the truth. We replace broken thinking with the truth. Jesus finished saying all what he was saying about preparing a place, you know. And he says, you know where I'm going. Jesus says, you guys know where where I'm going. For the last three years, I've been telling you I was going to go there. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And you knew I was going to die, but I was going to rise from the dead. I've been saying it in all different ways, but you guys know this already. And Thomas, doubting Thomas, man, doubting Thomas. Raises his hand, of course, and Jesus is like, ah, you're five feet away from me. He says, Thomas is like saying, he's saying, ah, Lord, we do not know where you're going. Thank you, Thomas, for asking the question that everybody was asking but too afraid to say it. How can we know the way? Now, see, Thomas has a question mark for a brain. Like, literally, you look in Thomas's brain, it's just a bunch of question marks, right? He's the Riddler, right? It's just a bunch of... Of question marks. He has a question mark for a brain, but what Jesus does is turn his question mark into an exclamation by saying this Jesus said to him, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, I appreciate Thomas, you know, um, set, and Jesus definitely spiked it on this one. Because if heaven is a person and Jesus is the way, Nobody will want to be in heaven unless they want Jesus. Does that make sense? For instance, somebody may come to me, and you might be here today, and you're like, uh, Pastor Kelly, um, or whatever, um, Kelly. What if, what if I sincerely believe, like I have a different religion. I don't follow Jesus, but I'm really sincere. And I can, and let me just tell you, right, just because you're sincere 
doesn't mean you're right. You can be sincerely wrong too. It's true. So, so if you say, hey, I, you know, I'm a, I believe in a different God or I'm, I'm a different religion, are you saying I'm going to hell? And I will tell you this. It doesn't matter what I think. All that matters is what Jesus said. So if you've got a problem with what Jesus said, take that up with him. And he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But don't miss the best part about that statement, sir, ma'am. There is a way. Did you hear that? There is actually a way to God. Like, nobody knows how to get to God. Like, most people don't have an answer to how can you get to heaven. And all the answers fall short. But Jesus here has the audacity. Audacity. Thanks, Sam. So Jesus has the audacity to say, hey, if you're looking for a way to heaven, I'm it. I'm it. It's, it's me. Come follow me. I just don't want you to miss that. If Jesus is telling the truth, then that should motivate you. If Jesus is telling the truth, it should motivate everybody who follows Jesus to get the word out. And if you're here today and you don't believe Jesus, I get it. But don't say he's a good person. Nobody who claims to be God or the only way is a good person. He's not even a good teacher. He's not even a good idea. He is a crackhead, right? He is wacko, right? But if he is actually telling the truth, if he did, in fact, rise from the dead and, and come back, well, then I think he should get your attention. I mean, have you even thought why? Why do we celebrate every year? Like, what year is it, 2019, right? Yeah, it is. Have you, have you thought, like, what are we counting from? What are we counting from? Something happened. I can tell you what happened. Jesus came, died, and rose from the dead for your sins so that you didn't have to die ever again. This is a historical Jesus. And you get to decide whether he's lying or whether he's Lord. And if he's Lord, it should burden the Christians to get the word out there, and it should burden you to give him your heart. If you're lost today, Jesus is the way. If you've been lied to, cheated on, or you're deceived, Jesus is the truth. If you're experiencing death, which you are, if you're afraid of death, which most of us are, you don't have to because Jesus is the light. And he is the life. And if you are wondering how to get to heaven, and if you're wondering how to be at peace with the Father, if you want to know how you can get home, Jesus wants you to know nobody goes home except through me.
Heaven is God's presence, eternal, forever. And he invites you into that presence if you will follow him. But he's not going to force you. He's not going to force you. That would be hell for you. If you don't want Jesus, he's not going to force you to be eternally in his presence forever. So in the meantime, while you're on earth, he extends his mercy. God extends his mercy to us so that we can make a decision. This decision to follow Jesus. See, even if you don't love Jesus, you're experiencing Jesus' mercy. Even if you don't, even if you hate God and you said it out loud, it's hard for me to even say that as a preacher. Right? You're still, you're still experiencing God's mercy. Because guess whose oxygen that belongs to? God. Guess whose gravity that belongs to? God. Guess whose capacity to connect with other people belongs to? God. Guess whose emotions you are, you are borrowing? God's. You're experiencing his mercy. And one day, people who do not want to be forever in his presence will not experience his mercy any longer. They will not experience his presence. If you don't want his presence now, then you won't get it for eternity. And you have the rest of your life to figure that out. And none of us know when we're going to go. It should burden you for your friends. And if you're listening and you haven't given your life to Jesus, it should burden you now. See, Jesus, being the way, the truth, and the life, should be very comforting. It should be. But it also can be very troubling. And Jesus wants to meet you in your expectation, where it meets the reality. And he says, don't be troubled any longer. You believe in God, believe in me. I go to prepare a place for you. Because there's many rooms in my Father's house, and there's a spot for you that I've been preparing for you. For you! And if And if that weren't true, I would have told you. But I've been preparing it for you. So follow me. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. I'm going to invite the band up. And I just want to remind you that when expectation and reality collide, don't lose heart. Instead, stay close to Jesus. Realize that heaven is a person, not merely a place. And you can replace your broken thinking with the truth by staying in God's word daily. What I want you to do this week is practice halt when you're having feelings. Talk out loud when you pray because Jesus is close. Decide today if he's a liar or if he's Lord. And allow your heart to break for those who don't know the way home. Listen listen to Jesus' words as we close. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me. 
Your father's house, my father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going now to prepare a place for you. I'm going now to to prepare a place for you. And if I go, prepare a place for you, I will come back and I will take you with me. That you may be where I am. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Today, may we become people who experience Jesus as our home and yet strangers to everything else. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for being the truth and sending your son Jesus to show us the way. Thank you that I don't have to be afraid of death because your son is the life. Thank you that I don't have to be troubled anymore because you are my peace. I receive your peace even right now. Father, I pray that you would use me, use this word that was planted in our hearts today, and may it multiply itself. And may we walk out of here with just more of you in every single aspect of our emotions, of our actions, and in our relationships. I pray that tonight, that if there's anybody here that has that does not have a relationship with you, that they would today then decide to make you the leader of their life as you lead them from this space into eternity. And that they would experience you every single day starting right now. We give you our friends. We give you our lives. We give you our materials. We give you our finances. Because it all belongs to you. Thank you that we get to call you dad. And thank you that we are your child. In Jesus' name, amen.